country on earth in shambles. Bill Gates already mapping out the next pandemic. The medical profession by law prevented from telling patients the truth. How do we survive this? Well, we the people stand up and stop taking it. We win at the ballot box and we do that by getting the truth out into public ears. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your warrior at the gate is Dan Newman. Just seems to me like Every day, we're getting more and more definitions of the truth and what people say the truth is supposed to be. How about let's just do this? Why don't we lock in on facts? Dismiss everything else. If you hear something, somebody tells you something, you read something, and it just kind of smells bad, well, check it out. Find out what's really going on. We can do that. We've got to do that. And we'll get into all the details about that right after this. Look out behind you. Jojo's got his gun. He wouldn't mean to, but you know he left his home.
Well, well, well. Here we are, the middle of the week, Wednesday. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? We're already in Thanksgiving 2023. Boy, this year is screeching by, and it just seems like we got cranking. But we're really, really close to turning a new year, and that means election year 2024. And boy, there are millions of things we Americans need to get our arms around, understand, use those understandings to make some choices about not just who we're going to vote for, but what we're going to, we the people are going to allow, and what we're going to demand out of this government, the one that's in office now, so that we can, next November, make whatever changes we need that we the people feel that we need in our government to get out of this quagmire that we have found the captain of our ship has driven us off into. I'm talking about President Joe Biden. Oh, my gosh. More revelations overnight about the egregious, autocratic things that this president is doing without having any direct authority to do those. Now, what are you talking about? Well, it has to do with that Green New Deal, has to do with that evil climate change, more and more and more coming out, and Joe Biden just doesn't care. If he sees something he wants to do, dadgummit, he's going to do it. And he goes by, lives by, apparently, that old adage, I heard it my entire life. It's always easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. In other words, if you want to do something, go ahead and do it. Yeah, there'll be a price to pay, but you can negotiate that on the back end. Boy, that really works, doesn't it? And of course, big news coming out of the Middle East overnight. I can't believe this, and we're going to weigh into it in just a minute, but Israel has agreed to a temporary ceasefire with Hamas. Now, we have this morning, when they first announced they had a deal yesterday late, they didn't give us the details, but we've got the details this morning. And before we get into the exact measures that Israel has agreed to do in conjunction with Hamas, I want to take you back one day, just one day, This is what everybody thought Israel was going to agree to and how this was going to be structured. And let me just give you a hint. It's not anywhere close to what we're hearing this deal actually is. Now, before we get to the details of the deal that's on the table now, here's yesterday and what everybody thought was going to happen. Here's a quote for you. We will not let up until they are returned. That's a pledge from Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to free the hostages captured by Hamas. A possible deal that could release 50 hostages or more may be underway. It could also include a pause in the fighting in Gaza. CBN Middle East correspondent Julie Stahl brings us the story from Jerusalem. Families of Israeli hostages gathered outside Israel's military headquarters in Tel Aviv ahead of their meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and his war cabinet last night. Netanyahu told the families that the return of the hostages is a sacred mission and that he and his friends are responsible for their return. But for the families, it didn't go far enough. What we've heard is that 
taking down Hamas and bringing the hostages are as important, are equally important. As far as I am concerned, and I represent myself and my family, this is incredibly disappointing. Udi Gorin, whose cousin Tal Haimi is being held captive in Gaza, says he believes the return of the hostages should be the top priority right now. Nevertheless, he says it makes sense that details of any deal are a secret. It makes, you know, it just takes common sense to understand that if they told us about the, 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 the details of the deal that is now being done, then it might jeopardize it. Hamas leader Ismail Haniya says a deal is close. Agence France Press reporting 50 to 100 Israeli and foreign civilian hostages would be released in exchange for around 300 Palestinians in Israeli jails. The deal would include humanitarian aid into Gaza and a five-day truce. The U.S. also continues to hint at a soon-coming deal for the release of at least part of the hostages. Uh, but as you heard the deputy national security advisor say yesterday, uh, we believe we're closer than we've ever been. So we're hopeful. Uh, but, uh, but there's still work to be done, um, uh, and nothing is done until it's all done. Inside Gaza, fighting continues. Over the last day, the Israel Defense Forces says they struck some 250 terror targets, including dozens of terrorists, rocket launchers, and terrorist infrastructure. According to the IDF, one rocket launching post was located in a civilian residential area. Terrorists launched a heavy barrage of rockets from that Gaza location toward Tel Aviv yesterday. Troops also found a weapons stockpile in the residence of a senior terrorist, including in a baby's room. The fighting is not limited to Gaza and southern Israel. Along the northern border, heavy exchanges of fire as Hezbollah launches rockets at communities, with Hezbollah causing heavy damage to an Israeli army base. Hezbollah, which is backed by Iran, has launched regular and escalating attacks since October 7th, but so far no signs it plans a full-scale assault. Julie Stahl, CBN News, Jerusalem. Well, joining us now is Michael Oren. He's the former Israeli ambassador to the United States. Welcome back to the 700 Club. Always good to be with you. Thank you. Uh, what's your take on the uh, on a, the possibility that there's a hostage deal? Well, I think one thing we have to keep in mind is we're dealing with Hamas. Hamas never negotiates in good faith. Zero. They're talking about moving the football all the time. Um, they'll say they'll release uh, 80 hostages, then they'll come around, they'll say 50 or 40 or 30. And then they'll say, we'll do it in return for a five-day truce, and they'll get to the end of the five-day truce, and we still won't have all the hostages. All right, so it's always going to be uh, breaking the ceasefire. They've broken every single ceasefire we've ever reached with them, so this won't be unique. Um, so that's the beginning of it. And then there's the great dangers. The great dangers is that uh, you know a five-day ceasefire, Thomas is going to use that time to booby trap the, uh, the more of the Gaza Strip, to, um, to uh, rearm, to regroup. And at the end of it, they're going to be pressed for another ceasefire. And say if they release 50 hostages, the families of the other hostages are going to say, well, what about our families? Let's have another ceasefire. And the bottom line is this. A ceasefire means Hamas wins. A ceasefire means Hamas gets away with mass murder. A ceasefire means that Israel cannot restore peace to its borders. We have 250,000 people who are homeless tonight. They can't go back to their homes. Israel, you know, large parts of the country with a ceasefire will remain uninhabitable. Israel loses. So it's all about the ceasefire, and it's very, very dangerous.
Well, explain to me how Hamas is still able to launch rockets into Israel. And there just seems to be a disproportionate media coverage of that event, that everything seems to be focused on the two hospitals in Gaza. And, and I, I still, from just a military standpoint, I don't see how Hamas is still firing rockets. So uh, I know that's two questions in there. So let's take the first one. Uh, how, how are they still how are they still firing rockets? And then the second one, why the disproportionate media coverage? Well, it begins with, first of all, where the rockets being fired from. As, as Julie Stahl reported, they're being far, far, fired from residential areas, from mosques, from schools, uh, from around hospitals. It's hard for us to get at them. Some of these rocket launchers are underground. The ground opens up and the rockets come out and then closes down again. And what you got is a plot of sand or rock uh, over it. And it's difficult to actually see them. Uh, we can destroy them after they fired, so they can't be fired again. Um, as for the press conference, uh, the press coverage, uh, this happens at every war. Every war, we get a certain amount of grace period because of the fact that we're attacked first, but that ends very quickly. And the focus goes from Jewish suffering to Palestinian suffering. And that's precisely what Hamas wants. Hamas wants us to kill as many Palestinians as possible. That's why Hamas uses his population as human shields. Why? Because every Palestinian that is killed, however tragically in this war, and it is tragic, uh, increases the international pressure for a ceasefire, which is what Hamas needs. It needs it to survive and it needs to come back, needs it to come back and try to kill us again, which is what it's all about. And their leaders have actually said this. Once we get through this, we're going to do it again and again and again, which is precisely why Israel can never agree to a ceasefire, not a real one, not a prolonged one, and can never stop until Hamas is destroyed. That last sentence was the salient sentence of this entire conversation. Marianne and I were talking last night about this very thing, and we both have felt for some time Benjamin Netanyahu will never trust Hamas so there will never be uh, any kind of real hostage deal put together because Hamas lies. I mean, think about it. Therefore, one thing and one thing only as it pertains to Israel. So every decision, every choice they make, every plan they make militarily and domestically has to do with the destruction of Israel and every Jew that breathes on this planet. They've been committed to that for centuries, not decades, but for centuries. So why would anybody, especially Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, why would he believe that Hamas is going to do the deal as they commit that they're going to do? They never have before. And just as he has said again and again and again, there will be no ceasefire. We will not stop fighting until every member of Hamas is dead. And then we get this deal last night. So here is the deal. Under this deal that has been mutually agreed to, Israel's military is going to stop temporarily its pursuit of Hamas. Now, why would they throw that in there, Hamas? Obviously, Israel didn't throw that out there as an apple, you know. It's Hamas demanding that. And by the way, what that includes is ground invasion of Gaza and more airstrikes. They're going to stop. And it's, of course, for humanitarian purposes. Also, Hamas has agreed to release dozens of hostages 
in tandem with Israel agreeing to release Palestinian prisoners on a three-to-one ratio. Three-to-one ratio. Well, that's kind of good, Dan. That means that the Palestinian prisoners are going to come three times more than the Hamas prisoners, right? Uh-uh. It's the opposite of that. For every one Israeli hostage or American hostage or any other nation's hostages that Hamas has, one of those will be released in exchange for three Hamas people being held by Israel. Fox News' Trey Yinkst reported Hamas leaders would release one hostage for every three Palestinians that Israel releases from its prisons. Now, these, these Hamas prisoners are not necessarily those that have been taken captive in this war. They may have been in jail in Israel for years. We don't know. Now remember this, Hamas governs Gaza. They took 240 hostages from Israel during that first terror attack on October 7th when they killed approximately 1,200 people, most of who were civilians. Hamas said at the time that it took enough hostages, which included Israelis, Americans, other foreign nationals, to free all Palestinians in Israel. That's what their goal is. Get all their people back and then just ramp it right back up and go after Israel again. So Hamas likewise officially approved the ceasefire, and they said it would release 50 women and children in exchange for 150 women and children held in Israel. It's not immediately clear which prisoners would be released. And you can't convince me that Israel is holding 150 women and children. I'm sorry. That's not what they do. Now, Hamas and all the other Muslim jihadists around the globe would love for everybody to believe that Israel's they're kidnapping women and children. They don't do that. Historically, they never done that. These initial hostages released will likely not include the entirety of women and children that are being held hostage. So even with this very delicate deal finalized, we're told, the actual release of the hostages is expected to take at least 24 hours to even get it started. The hostages would be released in groups of 10 to 12 at a time. You'll see the first hostages come over the course of Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. That's what one senior administration official said. In their statement confirming the ceasefire, Hamas praised the brutal October 7th terror attack against civilians, and they call it victorious resistance. They said this, the terms of this agreement were formulated according to a vision that aims to serve our people, strengthen our steadfastness in the face of aggression, and always pay attention to the sacrifices, suffering, and concerns. And they continued in this. This was a Hamas statement released last night. At the time when we announced the arrival of a truce agreement, we affirmed that our victorious brigades and all our resistance factions will remain the protective shield and defender of our people until the occupation and aggression are defeated. 
So let's go across the hall. <laughs> let's go to the side of Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu. They all met the War Council yesterday afternoon, then the Security Council, and then his full cabinet before the agreement was announced. Ahead of the meetings, he said he hoped there would be good news. Earlier in the day yesterday, Hamas leader Ismail Haniyeh and Mark Regev, the senior advisor to Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, openly said a deal was close. So after the deal was announced, Israeli forces continued to target Hamas with deadly airstrikes and ground operations inside Gaza. That's ahead of the expected Thursday ceasefire. So where is our president in all of this? Of course, he has no real say-so in anything, but he acts and he talks like he does. And I'm sure those people around the world that know Joe Biden's president, and they also know just like every American knows that he's pretty much feckless. He'll say something that he has no idea if it's factual. He'll claim he's going to do something And most people realize there's no way he's going to get that done. Nobody listens to him. But he got a microphone. And he said he welcomes the ceasefire deal and that he is, quote, extraordinarily gratified that some of these brave souls who have endured weeks of captivity and an unspeakable ordeal will be reunited with their families once this deal is fully implemented. Israel indicated the temporary ceasefire is not going to end the war. Their goal is still to eliminate Hamas. Nothing says that the war ends after hostages are returned. That's IDF spokesman Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus. Hamas needs to be destroyed. And before the deal was struck, Kunrik has said that any ceasefire with Hamas, based on our previous experience, is always what he called, I love this, a dubious endeavor. (laughs) In other words, these people are dishonest. You can't believe anything they say. You certainly can't believe any promises they make. If that's the truth that is floating in the air around all these conversations and meetings. How, Mr. Prime Minister, how can you trust anything that Hamas and its leaders commit to the nation of Israel? How can you reconcile that? Now, if this was happening in the United States or something similar happening in the United States, under this president, And also, let's go back to presidents. Let's go back, take Trump out of the loop. Under the Obama administration, what would Barack Obama do? What would he say? The same thing Joe's saying, lip service. There's no substance there. Hamas, i.e. Iran, they all understand the United States government in power today This administration, they're scared, and I started to say a dirty word, but they're scared to death. And they they try to buffalo people, these foreign leaders that have grown up their entire life spent in hating people from other countries and other religious factions. They hate them. 
And they think every person that disagrees with their ideology must be not made to sit down, made to go under six feet. And they're not going to be satisfied unless and until they can get that done. That famous rock climber I've talked about here a couple of times, guys climbing a sheer straight up and down side of a mountain, hundreds of feet, struggles to get to the top, but he's going to get to the top. Three-fourths of the way up, there's a crevice, and he sees, oh, man, this is some place where I'm going to get to stop and rest. He climbs up on the crevice, looks over in the corner, and there's a big old rattlesnake coiled up in the corner. And as he was shocked to see the snake, the snake saw him, was shocked, and the snake spoke to him and said, Hey, mister, I've been here a long time. I've had no food, no water. If I can't get out of here, I'm going to die. Would you take me to the top of this rock face? And the climber looked at him and said, I can't do that. You're a snake. You'll bite me. And the snake said, If I do that, we're both going to die. And I'm for sure going to die. Please. And he finally talked the guy, the climber, into agreeing to take him up. So as they got ready, he wrapped the snake around his neck and starts to climb, and it's another couple of hundred feet. He struggles, and just as he gets to the top, and he puts his hand up to pull them both up over the edge, the snake bites him in the neck. It startled him. He let go, and as they're both plummeting hundreds of feet down this rock face, the climber says, you promised me you weren't going to bite me, and now we're both going to die. And the snake snarled and said, you knew I was a snake when you picked me up. What are you saying, Dan? Do you think Hamas is a snake or they are snakes or whatever? Somebody much smarter than me long time ago said this. It is what it is. We're going to watch this very, very closely. I don't think... I'll be shocked if they get a second release done because I think somehow in this first release, Hamas is going to show what they're really up to. And I promise you, it ain't going to be good. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, Who's us? Supermodels. What are you, model gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. 
When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. Much to get into in this show today. Senator Josh Hawley. Oh my gosh, I've always liked him a lot, but we're going in just a few minutes, we're going to go to a, uh, a Senate hearing. You're not, you're not going to want to miss this. You will not believe what he exposes by talking to one person that is there to testify in the Senate hearing. It happened Monday of this week. Stay real close. We'll get to that in about four or five minutes. You know, I never speak about this, but through the last four years as our audience at TNN Live is growing, and the only reason it grows is because you're telling somebody about it or you're pointing to someone over, here's how you get to see uh, TNN Live live, and of course you can always pick it up later in podcast format from any one of your podcast hosting sites. But it's been interesting through these four years to watch the size of our live audience as it goes up and down. And you know what determines that? It's what's going on around the world. How bad is it? How much fear is there out there? And how much is going on that is kind of spooky? We can't get our arms around what and why. Give you an example. So far, we're three weeks into November. Our audience, our live audience, is up 106% from the same time period in October. What does that tell you? People are concerned. People are afraid. People don't like what they're seeing out there, and they're trying to root in and find facts and get truth about things instead of every news story Maybe not every, but 90-plus percent of the news stories they see and hear on regular media, legacy media, you know, cable television, big broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, they can't trust them. They don't trust them. And we've got a couple of examples we'll get into with this later in the show today. But I wanted to give you an idea. This would be a good time for you to share the word about TNN Live because people are getting facts every time you come here. Now, we don't talk about everything. We only have two hours a day, and I know that's a long time, and I want to thank all of you that listen. Many of you, you, you tune in live, and you can't, and I get it. You tune in live, but you can't sit there for two hours. Or even if you're, you've got it on in the background, you can't hear and listen to everything and digest it, and you Grab the podcast 
and listen to it later on. That's a good thing for you to do. It's also good if you can grab the podcast, download it from wherever you go. And when I say all of the podcast hosting sites, I'm including people like Google.com, iHeartRadio, Apple, um, Stitcher, TuneIn, any one of the hosting podcast sites, all of the big ones carry it. TNN Live is the name of the show. Download it and flip it over for somebody to get. And they'll find their way. In most cases, they find their way here. And I want to say thank you for doing that. It gives us some confirmation that we're pretty much on the right track most of the time. Before we get to Senator Josh Hawley in that committee hearing, something kind of gave me an upset stomach. The U.S. Department of Treasury yesterday, our Treasury levied a $3.4 billion, billion with a B, a fine against Binance Holdings in a settlement with the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchange. And this fine is for Binance's failure to stop and report suspicious transactions with terrorist organizations. Binance was accused by the Treasury of failing to implement any kind of program. It doesn't matter what it is, just some way to stop and report suspicious transactions involving terrorist groups like Hamas. I know that's a surprise. Also Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. Our Justice Department stated in a media release that one Binance compliance employee joked in a February 2019 chat that the company needed a banner that said, and this is a quote from the so-called banner, Binance is washing drug money too hard these days. Come to Binance. We got cake for you. Binance turned a blind eye to its legal obligations in the pursuit of profit, Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen said in a media release. Its willful failures allowed money to flow to terrorists, cyber criminals, child abusers through its platform. Today's historic penalties and monitorship to ensure compliance with U.S. law and regulations mark a milestone for the virtual currency industry. The settlement also includes five years of monitoring by Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network and ensures Binance is going to make a complete exit from the U.S. In other words, kicking Binance out of the U.S. Binance also agreed to a $968 million settlement with the Office of Foreign Assets Control. Now say what you will. I think Binance is trying to do something to scare every cryptocurrency on the planet to try to make all of them scared to death of the U.S. government. After all, they know and understand that in crypto, just like in banking, the United States financial systems is where everybody goes to make money if they're in finance. It's just because the audience is so large, the market is so large, and people in finance know more than most of the other counterparts around the world. 
But it also points to something that our federal government, Janet Yellen, in the Biden administration, they want to control everything to do with all kinds of money. But here's a conundrum. We know about FTX. We've talked about it exhaustively. You know Sam Bankman-Fried had his first trial and he got popped and he's going to spend the rest of his foreseeable life behind bars. And I think what's happening is this administration is lashing out to shut people up. Why would they want to do that? It helps hide what those in this administration have been doing. Dunstan Teo gave us the facts. When all this FTX stuff came out, it was at the beginning of our sending all the billions of dollars that we have to Ukraine. All of that money, every bit of it, none of it went through a wire transfer to Ukraine. Every bit of it went as cryptocurrency. And it went through one of those exchange, just like FTX, this one's Binance. The FTX exchange, where all of the Ukrainian money went through, a bunch of it didn't get to Ukraine. We don't know exactly how much, but Dunstan says well over half probably. So how much dollars have we given to Ukraine? You do the math. The Biden administration is trying to make a big blustery statement. We're in charge of all this. Don't mess with us. Don't ask us any questions, but we're not going to let this kind of stuff happen. What that, let me interpret that for you. What it really means is they don't want us to know, and they're going to clamp down on anybody that tries to reveal and expose what they're doing simply because. Democrats are in charge. Remember, Democrats, they tell us all, you don't need to worry about anything. We've got it all. You just send us your money, your tax dollars. We're going to take some of that and we're going to keep it ourselves or spread it around to our uh, fellow Democrats and do that through legislation and sweetheart financial deals. But you can't say anything about that. Because we're taking care of you. You don't have to worry about anything. We've got it all. This is an attempt to take control of cryptocurrency because that's the last financial market of any kind on the planet that is not being controlled, totally controlled, by government. Oh, my gosh. They can't stand that. They don't like corruption unless it's their own. Ooh, (laughs) you're stepping on some toes there. Yeah, I am. Now, let's go back to Josh Hawley. Senator Hawley, he is a bulldog when he comes up with stuff. He exposes a vast pedophilia ring. You're not going to believe this. There has been and is a massive pedophile ring that is pushed, promoted, and facilitated on Facebook or Meta. Its reach and its operations have been hidden for years. And it appears that Facebook has been 
purposely promoting and advancing these pedophiles and their actions on Facebook to unsuspecting children. Don't believe me. Listen to this from this hearing. Senator Hawley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Behar, thank you again for being here. I just want to first establish a, a fact or two just to make sure everybody understands. So on October the 5th, 2021, you composed an email, which is now, I think, in the record, to Mark Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg, and a group of other executives at Meta. Am I right so far? That's correct. Now, this guy is a former employee at Facebook, and he was in the IT operations of content and content control when he was at Facebook. Let's continue. In that memo, you disclosed to them that according to your own research, one in eight children, children now, had experienced unwanted sexual advances within the last seven days. Is that correct? That's correct. And about one in three, I think it was 27%, had experienced unwanted sexual advances outside of the seven-day window. So that is more than, than seven days. Is, is that correct? That is correct. Those numbers are astounding. I just want to let that sink in. One in eight within seven days, a third of children outside of that window. Mark Zuckerberg, did he reply to you? He did not reply. Did he meet with you? He did not meet with me. Cheryl Sandberg, did she meet with you? She did not meet with me. So, in other words, the people who had recruited you to come back to Facebook, Meta, whatever, it's hard to keep up, uh, they ignored your findings. When you presented data to them they didn't want to see, they turned a blind eye. Let me, let me ask you about something else. This is from the Wall Street Journal's report earlier this year. This is June of this year. They found the following. I'm going to quote, Instagram helps connect and promote a vast network of accounts openly devoted to the commission and purchase of underage sex content. Pedophiles have long used the internet, but unlike the forums and file transfer services that cater to people who have an interest in illicit content, Instagram doesn't merely host these activities. Instagram's algorithms promote them. Instagram connects pedophiles and guides them to content sellers via recommendation systems that excel at linking those who share these interests, the journal and academic researchers found. This is a stunning, stunning report, Mr. Behar, that that more than buttresses, bears out what you were telling, trying to tell the executives who ignored you. Just give us a sense, in your own view... Why do you think this is happening? Why has Instagram become, in the words of the Wall Street Journal, a vast pedophile network? Why are people like your daughter, every time they get on Instagram, they're being bombarded with unwanted sexual advances, sexual content? Why is this happening? My experience of that is that most of the resources, even close to all that they invest in this, go towards this very narrow definition of harm. And so I would encourage anybody here, when you're looking at this issue, if you find an account that seems to be a pedophile account selling things, try and act on it. Try and raise it. See what the company does with that. But see what happens if you like it or follow it, what you start getting recommended. And of all of the things that get surfaced by the systems, how many of them are they acting on? It's a fraction of a percent. One of the things that 
you said changed from the time you left Facebook in 2015, I think it was, and came back in 2019, was that Facebook had shifted to an automated-driven process of uh, safety standards, safety inspection, monitoring for things like this, which they boast about. They say that their AI is great, it's doing great work. That doesn't appear, however, to be the actual fact. It appears that these harms are proliferating. Tell us about the shift towards automated safety monitoring and what that has meant in your experience. I was not there for the shift, but what I can say is that algorithms are as good as their inputs. So if we don't allow a child to be, oh, that is gross, it makes me uncomfortable, right? which is something that you can do for an ad today. You can, you can take an ad and say, that is sexually inappropriate. But there's no way for a child to do that when they get a message or other areas. How do these systems like, even have a hope of addressing these issues? How can they, as a company, have a hope of addressing these issues if they're not willing to listen when a teen is trying to tell them that they're experiencing gross content, unwanted sexual advances. I mean, that's how you find predators. That's how you find the bad things. So what, what your research found and what you elevated to leadership was at least in part that these automated systems were not catching the vast majority of, of this unwanted content out there. I mean, the sexual advances of, of this pedophile material, it, it simply doesn't begin to capture. Yet Facebook didn't shift more resources, didn't change their process. And here's the thing that really gets me, and I'll end with this, Mr. Chairman. I know there's others who want to question. I've been reading over and over and over again this case filed by my home state, Missouri versus Biden. Landmark First Amendment case in which two federal courts, federal district court and a federal court of appeals, have found that Facebook, among others, actively coordinated with the present administration to censor First Amendment protected speech. Not this garbage that is not protected by anything in our Constitution, but First Amendment protected speech. Here's what gets me. What the courts found, this is in the record, this is factual findings, is that Facebook devoted all kinds of resources and people, actual human people, to doing things like monitoring posts on COVID-19 vaccine efficacy. There's one example of a parent in my home state of Missouri who wanted to post something about a school board meeting. Facebook used human moderators to go and take down that post. That was important. That has to come down. We can't have them posting about school board meetings, for heaven's sake. But the things that your daughter experienced, the this this ring of pedophiles, rings plural, that Facebook just can't t- find the time for. They just don't have the resources for it. That we just have to leave to, you know, let the market have its effect. Let AI do its job. We just don't have the resources for it. They had plenty of resources to, to censor First Amendment speech. No resources to protect our children. Absolutely unconscionable. Now that was just Facebook and Instagram. What about TikTok? What about Google? What about the other social media networks? We think they're just benign. These are things that kids are using today. They're interacting, interfacing with each other. Yeah, that's one little bitty, tiny part of all this process. But don't you, as an American adult, don't you understand? There are people out there that know for certain that a whole generation of young children can be taken advantage of for all kind of unthinkable purposes. Using social media, that's bad enough. But when you have 
somebody like Mark Zuckerberg that owns, he's a founder and the owner of um, whatever, Instagram, Facebook, whatever they change their names to, it doesn't really matter, and has made tens, not tens, but hundreds of billions of dollars. And so what do you do to be able to make that kind of money with something that you invented? It's yours. He's the guy that came up with it. What do you do? Will you find ways to market what you can possibly do with that product? The love of money is the root of all evil. So you don't put anybody out of the equation. Who's your market? Anybody that's breathing and can work an iPhone or a computer. All you got to do is find some way to get them hooked. And so you open it up, and what are pedophiles doing around the world? That's what they do, is they go after and find new victims. And who are they after? The most innocent among us, our kids. I can only imagine what's happening on TikTok. Because we, the United States of America, we know ha- we don't have any way to monitor it. It's owned by a group that's owned by the Chinese Communist Party. What are they allowing to go on there? Who's on there? For what purposes other than kids reaching out to each other, laughing and posting pictures and all that? It's the same kind of thing as this Facebook. And the horror of it all, what you just heard the senator talk about was the last 20 seconds when he brought up this point. When it comes to taking these kind of horrible things and controlling them by having people, I mean real flesh and blood people, monitor to protect our kids, uh uh-uh. They have it set up so that when somebody that's posting something and it has the verbiage in it that rings a bell somewhere, It goes up to another level in computer technology, and they tell us that's taking care of keeping this stuff from happening. But it obviously doesn't work. But when it comes to our federal government, for political purposes only, going after people who do things on social media, say things on social media that our government doesn't like, They don't use computers and technology to send those people somewhere. Uh Uh-uh. They use human resources. It's like call in the Calvary. Somebody's in there saying something that looks bad for Joe Biden and the Biden administration. We can't let those people do that. And they'll take them and lock them off. Cancel accounts. But what are they doing to stop pedophilia? Absolutely nothing. And you can only imagine. I'm not going to spend any more time on this, but just think about this. We're going to go to break. During the break, think about this. What else are they allowing to be monetized by very evil people? Maybe, oh, I don't know, child sex trafficking? Well, if they're into pedophilia... That would be a natural move down the road, wouldn't you think? And what about drug trafficking? 
What about a specialized system where some group, maybe it's um, Hamas, or maybe it's drug cartels, or maybe it's the Iranian government, it doesn't matter who it is, but they're looking for ways to monetize anything and everything they can come up with. You think they give a rip about what finding a way to specialize in fentanyl poisoning, slipping it into the United States to kill Americans? The love of money is the root of all evil. That should be all that matters. Wow. When I saw that interview, I just shook my head. I could not believe it. I can't believe it. I know evil dominates the world. I'm a Christian. I've been in the church my entire life. I believe God created the earth. I believe Jesus was born. I believe he walked the earth. He is the son of God. He hung on the cross. He died and he rose from the dead. I believe all of that. So I know evil is out there. We've been told over and over again in the Bible and sermon after sermon, Sunday school message, lesson after, it's been that way forever. But I think we hear so much of the other side of this that we don't even think about this side being there. And not only what it's about and who it hurts, but what our responsibility is to stop it. It's got to be stopped. There's no other message that can come out of this that makes any sense whatsoever. And if anybody anywhere agrees with pedophilia and that it's okay, you better be careful. There are people in this world that they really love their children. And do you know what happens in prisons when pedophiles ends up there? It's never a good thing for the pedophiles. Most people, even people in prison, know that messing with kids, abusing kids in any way, especially sexually, is off bounds. You can't do it. We just need to learn about these things and not just hear about them. Spread the word. Talk to people about it. Oh, and let me give you a personal example as we go to this break. Good friend of mine was the FBI field office director in this city, Shreveport, Louisiana. They had a whole division that what they did, if you don't know the geography of this area, Interstate 20 goes across the United States from the East Coast to the West Coast. It runs right through downtown Shreveport. And also in downtown Shreveport is the intersection of I-49 that runs up from the Middle West all the way down through Shreveport down to South Louisiana. At that crossroads, there is constant prostitution, child sex trafficking that happens because it's a perfect spot along I-20 and I-49 for these horrible people that are using these kids, taking them, in many cases, abducting them. Also, you can guarantee the cartels are bringing kids across the southern border. We've done stories. Steve Baker's been undercover in Houston. 
talking to, meeting with, trying to help kids that have been trafficked across the southern border. They stop in Houston. A lot of them end up in Shreveport. And I guarantee you, wherever you live, the same thing is happening to some level. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands. Ever! Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200 mile per hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. <laughs> what are you doing, Snuggle? Snuggle. out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. In a world of fake news, the truth will out. Truthnewsnet.org. Dan Newman. We got to pause from all this serious crap for a few minutes anyway. Oh my gosh, it can get depressing. (laughs) There's so much out there. And that doesn't diminish the fact that it's real, it exists, and we need to do something about it, not just talk about it, not just think, wow, man, that's terrible. wonder if it's going to rain tomorrow. That's the way we sometimes deal with bad things. But we're not here. We're not educated. We're not learning. We're not exposed to this kind of stuff to just sit still. And shake our heads. We got to make some noise. If we don't do anything else, if we can't do anything else, we got to make some noise. And especially things when it comes to kids. I want to get into um, what the Department of Defense is doing. Spokeswoman came up yesterday talking about these attacks against American military members that are over in Syria and what the Biden administration is doing or not doing to protect us. We'll get into that in just a second. But I I need a chuckle. Jesse Waters, Fox News. He is a funny guy. Dry wit. Very, very funny. And if you watch Fox News, you may know last week, I think late in the week, 
uh, on his evening show, he went after Target. Target has come out with a Nutcracker doll for this Christmas season, and it's gay. The doll is. Rainbow. Of course they're going to do that. There's money to be made. You remember all the trouble Target got into last year? (laughs) Sometimes people just don't learn. Well, Jesse going after Target on the air about that, it did not slip by. Joy Behar and her fellow, I can't even call them sisters, her fellow, uh, whatever, TV mates on The View. Last week on Primetime, we told you about the gay nutcracker. It's on sale at Target for eight bucks. If you want it, buy it. Go ahead. Target can sell whatever they want, and I can talk about whatever I want. But The View didn't like what I was talking about. They threatened to crack my nuts. It's a complex idea to get your mind around, Mr. Waters. But does Fox News understand that not every human being is heterosexual and Caucasian? <laughs> and this is the culprit right here. This is the offensive How rainbow. How dare he? And it's, it's, it's much prettier. You, you, you put your pretty. nut in there. He can put his nut in there. <laughs> and squeeze it. Jesse wanted, you have a dirty mind. Because <laughs> you're thinking it's about sex. It's just about pride. Well, primetime takes every threat seriously. Expect us to file a report. And we may be forced to file a restraining order against her, too. And under New York's red flag law, we've asked the police to confiscate all of Joy's nutcrackers. (laughs) Oh, Oh my gosh. If you don't laugh about something, you're going to stay hacked off all the time. Well, why don't we circle back to reality? Um, And I'm not saying nutcracker on sale, a gay nutcracker on sale at Target isn't important because it is. It says a lot about a lot of things, but it's nothing new. We've been hearing about it for years. And these people don't seem to get it, or if they get it, they don't care. And we'll have more about that a little bit later this morning. So back to what's happening over in the Middle East. A Department of Defense spokesperson yesterday claimed that our government, the United States, is deterring attacks by Iranian-backed militias yesterday, even as the total of those attacks keep climbing. A Lockheed AC-130 airborne gunship carried out a strike against some enemy enemy militants on Monday of this week after members of an Iranian-backed militia group launched a ballistic missile at a U.S. military base. Now, you would think, well, we've heard there's one or two or three or four. Uh Uh-uh. There have been... 66 such attacks on American bases in Iraq or Syria. And we're not talking about over, you know, years. 66 attacks since October 17th. So why aren't these U.S. counterstrikes working as a deterrent strategy? That's what one reporter wanted to know and asked the DOD Pentagon Deputy Press Secretary Sabrina Singh. I know 66 is a high number, but again, we have days sometimes where we don't have any attacks. That was Sabrina Singh's reply. So, would you say the strategy is not working if one day goes by with no attack on U.S. forces? I'm not saying that's the way to caveat it, 
But what I am saying is that we don't want to see this conflict widen out. The Biden administration designated Katabi Saeed al-Shuhada, a group it says has coordinated attacks on U.S. bases as a foreign terrorist organization on Friday. We will respond when we feel at the time and place of our choosing that we need to respond, Singh added. We have three times already. We did it again last night. I wouldn't say that again. It's not working. I would say that we are being very deliberate in our strikes and what we target. 66 times. She says we retaliated three times. The U.S. launched three previous strikes in response to attacks by Iranian-backed militias. It's important to remember we are sending a message and that that message has been received, Singh said. Uh, By the way, Iranian-backed militias launched four attacks after one of our strikes on November 8th in response to previous rocket and drone attacks, prompting another U.S. airstrike, November the 12th. Ooh. Ooh, I'm afraid of Uncle Sam. Okay, we retaliated three times. Now, by the way, what kind of damage is being perpetrated against us and our people? They won't give us all the facts. But what we are told is a multitude of those people that have been in those facilities when these Iranian back militia attacks have occurred or experiencing all kinds of physical issues, principally brain injuries, brain injuries, concussions. And many of them, we are told, are permanent conditions. Does anything in that that you just heard, does any of it, say something to you about what's going on and why, well, probably flip the the narrative to why it is not going on. Getting attacked 66 times and you launched three retaliatory attacks, we don't know all the details. We heard one of them was actually an attack on a, uh, a military ammunition facility. I have no idea what that means. But they're not coming out. The Biden administration, the Biden Pentagon, they're not coming out with any information. But what you just heard, it should scare every American citizen to death because there are messages not even hidden in this whole process. If you are on the other end, let's just say you're a military officer in Iran or in any of these uh Iranian-backed militias, and they've got a hundred of them. They all got funny Muslim names. Do you think they're a little bit worried about doing these things to the United States of America? Four years ago, one of these would have happened one time, and then there would be an obliteration response from the Trump administration, the Trump Pentagon. You knew that. I knew that. Well, guess who else knew it? These militia leaders, the Iranian leaders. 
They're not afraid of Joe Biden. And we can speculate and say there are probably a lot of reasons they're not afraid of Joe Biden. They're certainly not afraid of his military might and understanding and his practices about what he's done to prove that the United States will stand up for our people and we will retaliate against anybody that comes after us. Oh, no. It was the same thing during the Obama-Biden eight years. Same thing. Our foreign foes didn't give a rip about what we said, what they said, what we promised we would do, because when it came to holding people accountable for their illegalities, their attacks against us, they did nothing. They didn't do a darn thing, and I don't care who you are or what you think, but being attacked 66 times and we only respond three times, and there certainly wasn't any permanent damage that happened because of our three launches, or Joe would be on television thumping his chest. We're not holding anybody accountable. When we withdrew from Afghanistan, if that's what you can call it, I don't, I call it a tail tuck and run from Afghanistan. When that happened, and you look at the results of it on the ground in Afghanistan and afterwards, and even we're not hearing domestically in the United States, we know factually, we've been told that a lot of the Afghani people that we were told they're going to take with them, 100,000 roughly, that we were going to vet those people and nobody would get on a jet to come to the continental United States out of Afghanistan unless we knew who they were and their backgrounds were perfectly clean. And we find out more than half of those people were never even vetted. And half of those half, they just disappeared from the military bases where they were being housed when they got here. There was nobody. We, we didn't know who did what or who didn't do what or who was dangerous or who wasn't. So why would we think if we told them to stay on these bases, they would stay on these bases? So they're somewhere out there doing who knows what. Joe Biden sure doesn't know what. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin sure doesn't know what. And they don't care if they cared. If they cared about those dozens of head injuries, brain injuries that happened in these attacks, 66 of them, they would have already done something to stop it. We were on summer vacations going from South Louisiana when I was a kid back to South Texas where we were from. My older brother, three years, we were just kids. We sat in the back seat, mom and dad up front. And it was about a five-hour trip at that time. There was no interstate. It was all on US 90, two-lane highway, going through little towns all along the way. It took a long time. And we were kids. We'd play and fuss and fight. And the big thing my dad always did, he would say, don't make me come back there. Don't make me stop this car and come back there. He never stopped. And we kept trucking right along. And the next time, he'd say the same thing, maybe a little bit louder. And usually by about the third time, When he said that, we knew he was getting close to the boiling point, so we'd stop for a while. 
You think that's any different from these ragheads over there? These jihadists over there, they're watching. Hey, let's go tweak the Americans. Let's see if they'll do anything. Bam, 66 times they did it. And this spokesperson for, for the Pentagon, Ms. Singh, Singh, she said, we held them accountable. <laughs> if we had, they wouldn't be doing it anymore. Now, we did hear overnight a couple of more, two additional airstrikes against those Iranian attacks. They didn't tell us about this until all the uproar yesterday from what Ms. Singh had to say. Here's what they said, quote, United States Central Command reported airstrikes in a Tuesday night post on X, formerly known as Twitter, hours after that Lockheed AC-130 airborne gunship carried out a strike after members of an Iranian-backed militia group launched a ballistic missile at a U.S. military base. The precision strikes targeted two facilities used by Iranian-backed militias. They didn't tell us what happened. And by my understanding, and I'm not a military genius, but a close-range ballistic missile, when it's fired and it hits, it does some pretty significant damage. And they didn't say anything about what it was. Oh, my gosh. It just seems to get worse. Just seems to get worse. There's green energy news today, and I know you're waiting with bated breath to hear about our climate change and how the Biden administration has climbed Mount Everest in climate change, and they've conquered it. We're going to save humanity for all time by what Joe Biden is getting us to do. We've got one more U.S. state that has heard the cry and is following the leader of this nation, Democrat New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy and Sean LaTourette, the commissioner of the state's Department of Environmental Protection. They announced yesterday, drumroll, Murphy, the governor, would file the Advanced Clean Cars Rule 2. Advanced Clean Cars Rule 2. And it's going to be adopted on December 18. The policy coming into effect January 1st. Now what's in this policy? It will bind the state to completely phase out the sale of new gas-powered vehicles by 2035. And they're going to do it with incremental benchmarks for increasing the minimum share of manufacturers' new fleets that are zero-emission vehicle requirements along the way. Here's from the announcement. Quote, Here we see yet another Democrat elected official pandering for votes by interceding in the markets in a way that will create perverse incentives for automakers and inevitably higher cost for consumers. That's David Blackman, a 40-year veteran of the oil and gas industry, who now writes and consults on the energy sector. This is just one more example, he said, of why politicians are literally 
the very worst class of people in our society to be making energy-related decisions for the rest of us. Everything they do in this space only serves to make our situation worse. So New Jersey joins a growing list of states that have adopted 2035 bans on the sale of new gas-powered cars. These other states with similar or identical policies include the logical ones. You could guess every one that I'm going to tell you before I say it. California, Vermont, New York, Washington, Oregon, Massachusetts, Virginia, Rhode Island, Maryland, and Connecticut. The state will start restricting the number of gas-powered vehicles that can be sold in the state in 2027. So they're getting a jump start. And they've got to get all the way down to zero by 2035. The 2027 benchmark will require manufacturers to ensure that zero-emissions vehicles compose 43% of their new car fleets. Now, the policy does not ban ownership or use of internal combustion engine vehicles It will not bar the sale of used gas-powered cars, according to Murphy's office. Environmentalists and other green energy advocates often tout electric vehicles, EVs. You need to learn that, folks. EVs, that's the, the name you give when you talk about these electric cars. Don't say electric cars. I know you're an old fogey. And they're saying this is the future of American transportation and car culture. But they have several significant problems that their gas-powered counterparts don't have. Public charging station performance remains very inconsistent. Drivers often have range anxiety. EVs tend to perform poorly in cold weather, and they cost much, 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 much more than gas-powered cars. By filing the landmark Advanced Clean Cars 2 rule, New Jersey, we are told, builds upon its standing as a national leader in climate action and its participation in the global accelerating to zero commitment. Notably, some of Governor Murphy's other decarbonization efforts have not gone very well. In October, a company named Orsted a major offshore wind developer, well, you didn't hear this splattered all over the news, but they terminated two massive wind farms off the state's coast that were supposed to provide low emissions power to the state for years to come. Now, the company's doing their darndest to get out of the up to $300 million it owes to the state which could ultimately leave New Jersey taxpayers on the hook. If you think New Jersey's going to get Orsted to ante up the $300 million, raise your hand right now. Wait a minute, Dan, you don't have a television. Okay, I'm sorry. They're not going to pay New Jersey taxpayers back $300 million. Governor Murphy needed another means of climate virtue signally since Orsted messed up his offshore wind plans by canceling or canceling those two major projects last month. This is what he chose. This is the stupidity of the left. And it continues to happen and it grows and it grows and it grows. 
And I don't see any end to this in sight. Do you? I don't. Why? Because they've done too much. They've spent too much taxpayer money and they've lied through their teeth about what can and can't be done and when we get, not if we get, but when we get only electric vehicles on all our roads and our train tracks and our jets. Remind me to never get on a jet that's powered by an electric battery. (laughs) That's for obvious reasons. It would take a really long extension cord to fly from L.A. to Hawaii on an electric-powered train, uh, plane because there isn't enough battery power to get them there. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand-new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select, dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org, and Dan Newman. You know, the Biden administration, they don't need Congress. They don't. They are supposed to, but Joe Biden found out on day one in the White House he can just use executive orders and just do anything he wants to do. He just signs those executive orders, and he full well has known from the beginning because he was in the White House with Barack Obama for eight years previously. Yeah, some executive orders can be and are challenged in court, but it takes so stinking long to get something actually done in a federal court, and they know that. And so they know if, and of course they shop to find the most agreeable federal courts for these kind of actions to happen in for their favorite. These are probably judges that they appointed. So they're kind of obligated. Of course, the judiciary is not supposed to be political, right? That's a story for another day. You and I both know it is, but nevertheless, he can use executive orders to do a lot. And he does. The latest is he's using the Environmental Protection Agency and 
an executive order to grossly expand Joe's green energy infatuation. So who's the target this time? Well, just in time for winter's cold weather, that means big-time heating bills, Joe is attacking manufacturers of any kind of appliances that are not electric. Now, my son is an executive chef. He does a lot of cooking. And his favorite by large amounts is gas, cooking with gas. If Joe Biden has his way and what he's doing now, using gas appliances is going to be illegal very soon. Republicans, you might be surprised to hear, disagree. This sounds a lot like centralized government economic uh, planning. You have to let the free market drive these decisions. And uh, I, have, I have serious concerns about using hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars to force something for an ideological reason, not an economic or a national emergency reason. The Energy Information Administration estimates heating homes this winter using natural gas will cut down energy costs by more than 40% compared to electricity. Republicans have been making the case that Americans should be able to choose how they heat their homes, cook their meals, or refrigerate their food, all areas where they say the Biden administration is getting involved in the name of fighting climate change. It's all speculative, and it's all fluff. None of it is substantial. Can you imagine what would really happen if gas heating, gas cooking, gas air conditioning, because there's a big, big group in the United States that have gas, natural gas air conditioning as well. If that was all eliminated, what the heck are you going to exchange it into? Well, of course, electricity. I'll just take you back a few months when this electric car crap just got wings and took off and everybody was going crazy and many still are it won't work well what do you mean it won't work it'll get better it always does we invent something the first version the second the third the fourth aren't going to be perfect but by the time we get to version number 10 we've got it all worked out but here's the problem it's not the product it's not the car it's not the battery It's the fact that what has to happen when something's running by battery power, two things people forget to contemplate and to add into the equation of if you should do it and if you do do it, how are you going to handle it? First of all, batteries don't last long. Have you, like me, I always thought it was cool when Elon Musk started his electric car company. I thought that was really cool. Never went in one until I spent some time over in Zurich, Switzerland. Was there on business for several weeks, and nobody there uses cabs because they're way more expensive. So they used, you know, one or two of the different car services that comes around. And most of those in Switzerland either have Mercedes, black Mercedes, by the way, or they have one of this Elon Musk cars. 
I like to call him that. And first one I got in, it was like incredible. The ride was perfect. I thought it would be slow to accelerate. Oh, no. It's not like a gas combustion engine. When you hit the accelerator, you're at top speed instantly and very comfortable. And I spent a lot of time in those, and I I thought they were pretty cool. But when this big push started, I started thinking about, you know, car, it's just like we, I have an electric battery-operated mower. Our yard's not really big. I have a battery-operated edger, a battery-operated uh, weed eater. And those batteries don't last long. They've got to be recharged. And as you continue to recharge them, they begin to wear down. And before long, that battery that used to last an hour and a half on a mower lasts 20 minutes. Well, that's no big deal. You just go get another battery. Okay, let me ask you a question. Have you priced an electric car? Has the salesman, have you asked him how long the batteries last and how long it takes to charge them up? And when you got to replace a battery, how much is that? Well, first of all, everything in that car runs off battery. It's not a hybrid. It's an electric car. So there's a group of batteries, multiple batteries. And if they'll be honest with you at these car dealerships, if you press and press and press, they won't tell you the exact length of time those batteries last before they got to be replaced. They just want to tell you, hey, part of the deal is, is we'll get a charger put in your garage so you can just plug it in when you go home every night. You don't have to worry about stopping by a gas station to fill up, yada, yada, yada. Unless you ask specifically, they won't give you those answers. The answers are, most of these cars, the batteries last about three years. Well, shoot, if I had a flashlight and the batteries in a flashlight lasted three years, I'm fine. It's a little bit different. Batteries for a flashlight may cost a buck to replace all of them. These electric cars can be as expensive as $45,000 to buy batteries when those batteries are exhausted and they won't hold their charge any longer. Well, that's no big deal. When it comes time to trade it in, I won't be worried about the batteries. No, but the first thing the dealer will ask you when you go to trade it in is, how old are the batteries? Have you replaced them? When did you replace them? And based upon the truth of that answer, they'll take the cost of the batteries to replace them. They'll take it off what they give you for that car. You don't win. Now, let's go back a little bit. Where does the electricity for these cars, where does it come from? Well, you just told us, Dan, car salesman said, we'll put a charger in your garage and you just plug it in. Well, where does the electricity get from to get into that battery charger to get through to your car? It has to come from somewhere. There is no perfect estimate of what if we were operating by 2035 and every car was electric, what that would do to our electric grid now. It's got to come from somewhere. It's got to come from somewhere. Our electric grid is being tasked right now. 
in the summer. You remember all the greenouts, the blackouts, having to make people sacrifice and use electricity in a cycle going across a valley in, say, California or Nevada. We would have to totally overhaul the entire electric grid of the United States of America. We live in a, in a planned community in northwest Louisiana. The whole thing is about six or seven years old. And when they put it in, they over put the electric grid. In other words, they made it more able to add as more homes were built and more electric vehicles would show up and ovens and air conditioning, all those kinds of things. And I talked to somebody about the size and the number of homes that are here now and what it it is expected they'll grow to. And they made no bones about it. The electric grid in this subdivision would have to be totally ripped out and replaced if every car, if every home had one, just one electric car. You extrapolate across that in the United States. If we could get it done, the cost would be monumental. These people in Washington don't get it, and they don't care. They don't care how realistic their thoughts are. Going all electric, man, that sounds, that does away with pollution, and it doesn't matter what the cost is. We're going to save planet Earth. Besides that, (laughs) they can't justify any of it because it can't be done. Realistically, oh, it could be done. It could be done. Moving on, we're inside our last half hour. We've covered ground, but boy, we got more we could get to, that's for sure. What about what's going on between Elon Musk and media matters? Have you heard about this? Elon Musk, the billionaire, his social media platform, X, formerly Twitter, filed a lawsuit against Media Matters. And it could lead to some damages for the left-wing group, which Media Matters is far left. There's no question about it. Some legal experts are weighing in on this today. Media Matters alleged that advertisements from some major advertisers will show up on anti-Semitic content on X, and they allege this Thursday. So while the case is not a slam dunk, there is merit to it, and it could lead to financial damages and an injunction against Media Matters. X has a facially compelling argument for causes of action that are based on a type of tortious interference with its advertising contracts and business defamation. Now this is from Joan Meyer, who's a partner at the law firm Thompson Hine, Media Matters methodology has come under scrutiny. They came up with a plan to justify them printing this, allegations against Elon Musk and Twitter. Media Matters accessed accounts that had been active for at least 30 days, bypassing X's ad filter for new users. That's what Elon's lawsuit says. Media Matters then exclusively followed a small subset of users consisting entirely of accounts in one of two categories, those known to produce extreme fringe 
content and accounts owned by excess big-name advertisers. The end result was a feed precision designed by Media Matters for a single purpose to produce side-by-side ad-slash-content placements that it could screenshot in an effort to alienate the advertisers. But this activity still wasn't enough to create the pairings of ads and content that Media Matters aimed to produce. Media Matters, therefore, resorted to endlessly scrolling and refreshing its unrepresentative hand-selected feed, generating between 13 and 15 times more ads per hour than are viewed by the average X user repeating this inauthentic activity until it finally received pages containing the results that it wanted. Controversial content next to X's largest advertisers paid post. That's in this lawsuit. Several of those advertisers that Media Matters targeted, they stopped advertising on Twitter. Apple, IBM, Lionsgate, Paramount Global, Sony, and Water Brothers, Discovery, subsequently have all stopped advertising on the platform since this report came out last week. Now, if Twitter's allegations are accurate, it could have a good argument that Media Matters directly caused advertisers to leave the platform based on misleading information, and that led to a large revenue loss. And that's from a bunch of different attorneys. They, they maintain that's factual. If this is true, and Media Matters deliberately created content by manipulation, Twitter may be able to show that the publication of this content directly resulted in the cancellation of important advertisers that were a significant source of revenue for the company. Counsel for law firm Lewis Bache, Kaufman, Middlemiss, Mark Frazier, agreed. If it can prove that happened and that the misleading results damaged the victim, damage should be available. The primary question for the lawsuit is whether intentional conduct occurred to create a false picture that sought to interfere with X's business relations. Critical is the proof of intent and its falsity. So somebody weighed in on this this morning that doesn't normally do it. If you watch Fox and Friends ever, Brian Kilmeade is on there. I like Brian a lot. He gets a little carried away sometimes, but he's not afraid to tackle something that's really tough. And so he weighed on this action, this Media Matters activity, and subsequently what Elon Musk is doing. And I thought you'd like to hear his side of it and what other experts are saying. It's time for Brian Kilmeade, the man who never takes a day off. He works 23 out of 24 hours and I'm sure he makes something else happen on that extra hour. Brian, good morning to you. Elon Musk's ex just launched a uh, defamation lawsuit against Media Matters for America. They claimed that the platform showed anti-Semitic posts next to advertisements and it triggered an advertiser exodus. Now, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson just opened an investigation into Media Matters for potential fraudulent activity. Do Musk and Texas here, Brian, have a case, do you think? 
I think it's a pretty strong case. And not only that, I, I, go, I salute Ken Paxson for doing this. Media Matters is a despicable mm. organization that exists just to create havoc for left-wing causes. And Elon Musk has got the wherewithal to take him on, and he doesn't care. He'll bring it on. Well, what he's done in saving uh, Twitter <laughs> is uh, really been well chronicled on this channel. Uh, what he dealt with Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss getting in there, real, revealing the bias that was taking place during the last election cycle and beyond and then through the pandemic. And then you have Elon Musk saying, wait a second, you're trying to destroy me? Let's go through this. And he says, I'm going to file a thermonuclear lawsuit. And one of his lines was, I cannot wait for the discovery. Uh, it is going to be great to see the discovery process on Media Matters, who's behind it yeah. and what the agenda is. He has lost IBM. He has lost Apple, Lionsgate, Paramount, all off of what he now calls X because of what they say is an anti-Semitic uh, post that he might have retweeted, which could be litigated another time. Yeah. But also the Missouri AG also might join in with Ken Paxton. I love it. I don't like litigation per se, but let me tell you what I dislike more is people who think they can take advantage of somebody by stretching the truth. I mean, truth lives in a vacuum. We, we say that all the time here, and it does. Something's either true or it's not true. Immediate matters. They have a lot of uh, bad baggage in their rearview mirror, a bunch of it. And, uh, I think they, and I think anybody that would take advantage or try to, manipulating facts to try them, get them to fit into a narrative that you're trying to use against a political foe, I think that is not a good thing to do, and anybody that tries it should be held accountable. And by the way, I think Elon Musk has deep enough pockets that he can ride this to the end. And I would expect Media Matters to come forward with their hat in hand and somehow try to cut a deal to keep this from ever going to court. Meanwhile, I know you've heard in the aftermath of what uh, COVID-19 and our Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin did to the American military. Joe Biden's mandatory vaccines caused thousands of people in the military to leave the military. They weren't going to do it. And by the way, facts are proving every day that their decision to not take the vaccination, the COVID vaccination, was a darn good one. That's a story for another day. The U.S. Air Force sent out a letter telling an airman booted from the service over the now rescinded COVID-19 vaccine mandate of an opportunity to rejoin the service. They want them to come back now. They're begging them to come back. And this one mirrored similar letters sent to former Army service members. That's according to a copy of one Air Force letter that was obtained. A former Air Force service member who was separated for refusing the vax received the letter Sunday, addressed with the recipient's name. This is according to a source familiar. The letter tells former airmen they can request to have their service records amended to show that they received honorable discharges, and then seek re-entry into the service amidst the service failure to meet recruiting goals. Our records indicate you separated from military services as a result of the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for members of the armed forces. That act was rescinded by 
the Secretary of Defense January 10th, 2023, and by the Secretary of the Air Force on January 23rd. Should you desire to request consideration of a correction to your personnel records, including records regarding the characterization of your discharge, you may submit a request to the Air Force Discharge Review Board or the Air Force Board for Correction of Military Records. The letter then recommended Air Force veterans wishing to rejoin the active service to contact a local recruiter. It couldn't be determined exactly how many of those letters were sent out and over what window of time, and the Air Force, of course, won't answer that question. However, the Air Force letter mirrors similar letters sent to U.S. Army soldiers that were discharged for the same reason. The Army sent out about 1,900 such letters to former soldiers that were also discharged over COVID-19 vaccine refusal. Between February of last year and January of this year, when Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin officially rescinded the vaccine mandate, the Army discharged 1,903 active duty soldiers for refusing the vaccine. A major, Shaheen Uden, confirmed the Army letter, which first circulated on social media, as being authentic. It was the first time the Army directly reached out to former soldiers by sending letters. It's too early to determine as the letters were only recently sent out, Uden said, referring to the letter's success in bringing former soldiers back into active service. Only 19 of those separated for VAX refusal have rejoined as of September the 9th. However, this is part of the overall COVID mandate recession process mandated by Congress. We knew this was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen. And who's been paying the price? Well, obviously those that were forced to get out of the service because they were in there by their own choice. There's no draft. So everybody that enters the military over the last few decades has done so voluntarily. Basically, they got fired. And it was over a vaccine that is creating panic around the world and killing people. Adverse reactions to all kinds of things around the world. And those are becoming historically unbelievable to accept. But they're happening everywhere, including here in the United States. Congress mandated the Pentagon overturn the COVID vax mandate in the 2023 defense bill, but they didn't include remedies for the service members discharged or in the process of seeking exemptions. Army policy from February confirms the option for former soldiers to seek corrections to their service records. In a February hearing, DOD and service officials said those who had been kicked out from the military could seek to have their service records upgraded, and that would make them eligible for certain post-service benefits not available to people with other than honorable discharges. I got a novel idea. Why don't you show, not tell, not talk to, but show these military members that were expelled because you guys signed on to the max COVID-19 requirements and mandates, which was a mistake, and it was a dishonest mistake. 
And I guarantee you, I will bet your bippy that nine out of 10 of those in leadership in the military branches did not have to be vaccinated. But what I was going to say, show your honesty, show people you have some integrity and just wipe their records clean. Don't make them come back and beg you to clean them. You're the one that kicked them out, and you shouldn't have, and you did. It's not their fault. They didn't leave voluntarily. You forced them out. But that would require some integrity and honesty, and there just isn't a whole lot of that going on from the White House all the way down to military bases in foreign countries. Shame on you. We've got a little incident, a possible incident in the making up in New York State. Oh my gosh, not New York. They do everything. They got it all going their way, right? Andrew Cuomo, the disgraced former mayor of New York, governor of New York, I'm sorry. He is considering a run for mayor of New York City if a federal investigation takes out current mayor Eric Adams. And that's a possibility, by the way. Cuomo reportedly wouldn't try to take Adams on in a primary, but he's considering running for mayor of the Big Apple in 2025 if Adams doesn't survive the ongoing federal investigation that's reportedly focused on a potential collusion between Adams' 2021 campaign and the Turkish government of all things. The story cites eight people who have talked with Cuomo or members of his inner circle, and they confirm this. Cuomo has reportedly been plotting his political comeback after he resigned in August of 21 in the middle of allegations of sexual harassment and that his administration deliberately covered up the death toll in nursing homes during the pandemic. I got the impression that he's ready. That's from Reverend Ruben Diaz, a former state senator, ex-member of the New York City Council, who spoke with Cuomo last week. No one knows what's going to happen to the city. Now, this Adams thing, it's unclear whether he himself is the subject of this federal investigation. And as far as we know, he's not been accused of any illegal activity. However, federal law enforcement agency seized his iPad and his cell phones for several days earlier this month about a week after the FBI raided the apartment of Brianna Suggs, who is a former intern and campaign fundraiser staffer for Adams. The Suggs search warrant was intended to get him evidence to determine whether she, Suggs, may have solicited foreign donations from the Turkish government, which would be illegal under federal law. The scope of this investigation includes the campaign as a whole. Do I believe I could run for political office again? Yes. I think I have a lot of options. And there are a lot of issues I'm working on now that I care about, Cuomo said to Politico in an interview. I haven't ruled any in, and I haven't ruled any out. While Cuomo is, he's main publicly supportive of Adams, some of the New York voters think a poll testing a slew of potential Cuomo comeback messaging strategies. 
It's beyond exploratory. This is a full message test. Evan Roth-Smith, who's a pollster and a founding partner of Slingshot Strategy, said, Adams is looking at a bunch of other woes in addition to the federal investigation. The city struggled to keep control of its budget. Waves of illegal immigrants have been arriving, and persistent crime continues to dog New York, despite Adams' campaign promises to take an even tougher stance. Though difficult, he could still be competitive. That's Basil Smickle, a former executive director for the State Democrat Committee, who's a big buddy of Cuomo's. He does have support in African-American and Latino communities. He does have the support of more moderate voters. I really don't have any dog in that hunt. I really don't. And I really don't care, although I'm not a fan of Cuomo just because of what he did. And he did it all arrogantly. He was the most arrogant guy in politics, and he comes from a big-time, long-time, very involved political family, the Cuomo family. Meanwhile, yesterday, I don't know if you knew it, but there was a special congressional election race that happened out in Utah. Republican candidate Celeste Malloy won, and I mean, she trounced her opponent, a special election to the U.S. House for Utah's 2nd District. The district had previously been represented for a decade by former Republican Representative Chris Stewart. He resigned from Congress on September 15th because his wife has an unspecified health concern. Malloy, who served on Stewart's staff and had received his endorsement, won the general election with 54% of the vote, defeating Democrat State Senator Kathleen Reby. I said early on in this campaign I was going to outwork everybody else. I think I made good on that promise. I feel confident because I'm hearing a lot of positive feedback from the people I'm out talking to. That's Malloy in a Twitter X post. Malloy's going to join this Congress, 118th Congress, to serve out the remainder of Stewart's term, which was set to expire January 3rd, 2025, and will have to seek re-election to her seat next year to remain in office for another two-year term. Her entry will raise House Republicans' narrow majority by one seat. The number will be 222 Republican members against the Democrats' 213 members. That's got to help. I mean, it can't be easy to operate and run the government, the congressional side, with such a narrow margin because you can't lose many of your people. And come on now, we're talking about the United States Congress. Those people don't agree about very much, let alone enough to get stuff passed on a regular basis. And that's what you got to do. This is the United States of America. Hey guys, thank you so much for being here today. We love you being here every day. We still have a good bit of time left in this week and it's going to be contentious, I promise you. We're watching it for you. See you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. I hear the drums are going tonight She hears only whispers of some quiet conversation 
Deep inside, frightened of this thing that I've become. 